Welcome back to the Huxley Morton podcast. This week, I'm joined by Stuart McCulley, a founder of Phoenix RWR. You may have seen Stuart active previously. He's always on LinkedIn. He's a big advocate for talking out about mental health and topics that many others shy away from. Uh, in today's episode, Stuart gives us a very honest insight into his personal professional life, his story of success, and explains that while many think he's got it all, it's come at a price. Didn't think, didn't enjoy what I did. I hated it. So I, I have got the ultimate contract. It paid pretty much for my house. And I've got to tell you, I hated it. Didn't make you happy? No, not at all. So what was, what was going through your head then? Because, yeah, in, in some respects, you know, we've all just been laughing at what a fantastic deal it, it was. Yeah. But on the other hand, it sounds like it was one of the worst times of your life. It was. Um, you'd achieved Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You, 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 you ticked all the boxes all the way up. And yet yeah. when you got to the top of the tree, it sounds like it fell down. It was shite. It's funny. Uh, people come to me and say, oh, you you're doing so well with your company, you've got all this. You know, in between that, you know, between the alcoholism and the antidepression issues and all that kind of stuff, life isn't as pretty as people would like to think. Eyes and the salts coming from the kitchen, she talked to my mum and dad, because they were the only people that talked to her, no family, no friends. Mm. So it, it struck me that there are so many things that you can suffer in life and you have to suffer it alone because it's too awkward to talk about it. I don't know if that's a British thing. Not only did they pay me as a full-time employee, they paid me to generate and continue to build my own business and pay me a license fee for access to the information they paid me to create. Absolutely. For four years, my heard so often is, this is how we always did it. Oh my God, shoot me! You know, because it, it doesn't matter if it was right, wrong, stupid, irrelevant. They would just do that because that's how they always did it. King uh, mantra I told you about from Dreamcatcher. Confident, mm. cocky, lazy, dead. The reason it means a lot to me is I was confident when all of this happened. I got cocky. I got lazy and the company died. Welcome back to another episode of the Huxley Morton podcast, the show where each week we speak to pharma company owners and industry leaders sharing their stories of both personal and professional growth. This week, I'm joined again by my co-host and biometrics expert, Adam Walker. Um, and on the show, we okay. have Stuart McCulley, founder of the Phoenix RWR and Redbird Solutions. Um, Stuart, you and I have spoke pretty rec recently off air. Uh, I know that you and Adam have, have been in, in touch as well. But um, look, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. Great to, to meet you again, Stuart. Um, well, Stuart, I guess one thing has immediately went through my head when introducing you there. Um, I'll ask for a bit more of an introduction about who you are and what you do. But look, the, the company names, um, Phoenix, Redbird, um, the bird theme. Give us an overview of, of what <laughs> yeah. you guys do, uh, who you are. Yes. So uh, Phoenix is, it's just the classic, you know, the bird that comes out of the ashes. So um, I set up a company in 2009 called Chuck, C-H-C-U-K. Mm -hmm. In my naivety, I thought if I go to a bigger company, they will be able to provide me with the solutions, the network, the infrastructure that I don't have. Um, so that's when I became part of Inventive Health, mm -hmm. City Health, as it is now. Um, <clears throat> I, I should have known as an entrepreneur, and I've been told many times now that that's not the case. If you want to innovate, you don't go big and don't go corporate. Um, so in the seven years that I was with them, it slowly died. Um, so Phoenix is Chuck, but re revised coming out of the ashes. Uh, with a new understanding, a fresh look, you know, there's no bitterness about this. It was just naivety on my own part. So Redbird, it's trying, it was one of my uh, co-founders said, right, we want to do what Phoenix is doing, but as a startup, but not Phoenix. So we'll call it Redbird. 
you know, it honestly is like Big Bird or whatever. It's <laughs> so stupid. It's why we're now called Real World Research Limited. Right. Okay. It, it got to the point. Are, are we allowed to swear on this podcast? You can look. It's, it's, it's okay. So it, it got to the point where he had so many fucking birds. We had red bird, blue bird, light bird. Uh, it, it just, it was like, no, stop. Stop with the birds. Because no. what will happen is Phoenix will become part of Real World Research Limited. What we wanted to do was segregate the two until such times as we had the viable startup and then it gets absorbed fine you know it's two separate seo kind of pathways etc it, it's as simple as that it's it's really just it's a celebration of being able to do what you love that's what phoenix is about fantastic i like that and um yeah i guess the reinvention the rising from the ashes doing it yourself all sounds very good um talk to us about the the, the two entities how, how do they differ what do you what do, where do they differ? How do you do what you do? Um, in kind of layman's terms for, you know, the non-clinical research um, individual out there, you know, myself included to an extent, give us an, an overview of, of what, what the two businesses are all about. So it started in 2004 when I joined GE Healthcare's clinical research group. Mm -hmm. They do clinical trials, that's fine. But what happens with anything that you do post-approval used within license it's no longer a clinical trial didn't but the, it, it was it was the wild west then i moved on to shire um same kind of scenario but what they wanted to do was implement all of the restrictions you have with a high-risk clinical trial um, into the same kind of study I got really frustrated, so I created a business called Chuck, which basically deals with non-interventional studies and registries. Fast forward to 2019 when I exit Cineus. I've sold Chuck, I exit Cineus, um, and we have Phoenix. So what Phoenix does in layman's terms is it's the frustrated person's way of being able to give you the information you need to run your study mm -hmm. without any of the bullshit. <laughs> it literally is a case of, you want to do this type of study in Italy, this is what you need to do. Mm -hmm. That's it. Simple as that. Where, did, where does that data come from? Look, uh, Adam's our, our data expert. He loves data. What sort of data <laughs> are we talking about to, to provide that information that you're, you're providing? Um, if anyone can do it. You just Google it. Google it. Adam, is, is this true? I wouldn't necessarily say. So, so the non-interventional outside of clinical trials, mm. you, what you're talking about, Stuart, is, is what's yeah. freely available data effectively in the public domain. That's really what we're talking about, isn't it, Stuart? Yeah, easy. So when we're talking interventional, we're talking in the, in the realms of a clinical trial, fixed methodologies, phases one through to four. Non-interventional outside of that becomes real-world data, what yeah. you would be familiar with you know big data effectively james that's really what the difference is isn't it isn't it Stuart? i don't know whether you want to speak yeah, to that point the, a little bit further what what became a challenge for people is we were lucky with clinical trials because we have the ich side of things where you know pretty much globally the standards were harmonized yes so what you see is what you get in any country non-interventional studies the post-approval stuff every country has decided, no, 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 we know best. So every country has its own requirements. So what I have specialized in doing for the past 12, 13, 14 years is I collate the information. Google is always our friend, God bless them. Um, um, and I verify it with the ethics committees and the competent authorities. So it's collated, verified. And because I started life in GCP, I used to train and I was one of the people that developed the training modules for GCP for the National Institute of Health Research in mm. the UK. Um, I have a clinical trials background, so I can tell you what isn't applicable, which is what you need for this stuff. And then I consolidate it into a really tiny, this is all you need to know and reference it. So you, you get that comfort and confidence factor, even auditors will do. This is all you need to know. 
And and to be fair to you, Stuart, what, what I see you doing a lot on LinkedIn is sharing a lot of those documents and putting it out there in the public domain and being very transparent about that capability, that skill set, and and really offering it out to a broader population. That's that's how I understand that as a as a service, but also as an opening, isn't isn't that fair? Yeah, what annoys me is, you know, there is this old kind of mentality, and I call it old mentality because I don't buy into it, of information is power. Yeah. The more info, the more I give you, the less you know. So I'm not I'm not doing you a service if I don't give the, you the information. Yeah, I, I feel obligated to at least give you the baseline. You know, this is life. You mm -hmm. should, if you're going to run these studies, you should at least know what the basics are. And I think I think it's a it's a very admirable um, standard that you set because I don't see that a lot, and I don't think you know many many of our listeners and and, and followers will will have have had experience of many people putting information out there in the public domain when they don't have to because that's effectively what people see as being their ip don't they they do uh, and I, I was always told you know i would do training sessions people would tell me oh you can't give them your slides well i've just trained you on it why would i not give you the slides which is i i, I don't understand that mentality you know, the least I could do is give you the slides because this world is confusing enough. You know, if if all you have is what I told you versus what I handed to you so you can so consolidate it and think about it. And, you know, because that's how the mind works. Yeah. If I don't give you that, then what service am I giving you? Yeah. And that's it. It's, it's a great it's a great approach. And I have a similar similar experience with sharing SOPs for because many people, again, see those things as as IP and and very much lock them down and don't want to share them in public in the public domain. You see it more in an ac in yeah. academic settings where universities or hospital settings or hospital clinical trial settings share them in the public domain because it's almost as if they're you know because they're funded by public public service. Um, there there seems to be an obligation, but you're challenging that state, status quo, really, aren't you? I've been challenging it for a decade. You know, it's slow. It's, yes. it's the pharmaceutical industry, you know, nothing happens quickly. I think it's, it's as I say, it's kind of, it is that maverick approach, but I think there's, it's becoming more widely utilised by more and more people now. Uh, I guess, look, for me, it's, it's a method that I've used for a long time. The fitness industry is one that is huge for it. They can give away, you know, all of these uh, fitness plans, etc., but it isn't going to give you a, fit, uh, a six pack. Because guess what? You need to administer it. You need the guidance. You need, you know, the coaching. That's what it all comes in. So, you know, I often say to, you know, a lot of the job seekers that we speak to, this is how you should go and get a job. Because as a, as a recruiter, people come to me often for high-end individuals that they can't attract themselves. Entry-level yeah. um, folk, we, we rarely can assist directly because why would you go and pay a recruiter the, the fees for that? We need to be adding value. So for those individuals, I'll say, look, this is what I recommend. This is how to utilize your, your LinkedIn profile. This is a video platform, which I've shared with Adam recently as to how you could apply to senior management of jobs and put yourself right in front of the key decision maker um, to potentially land yourself an interview. Do many of them do it? Probably not. Because as you say, you know, information is not necessarily power. It's not. It's, it's, not. What, you do, it's what you do with it. Yeah, I, you know, I love what you're saying there, because, you know, even though I'm a short, fat bloke, you know, in the good old days, I was super fit. But the amount of times I'd go to the gym and people would go there just to talk or they would be on the treadmill with a magazine. You know, this is before the days of Walkmans and all that. I'm that old. But, you know, it's like it. What do you want from this? You know, you can't you can't force people to take this and, and you know, get the six pack, like you say. Love mm. it. yeah. it's the application it, it it's, yeah. it's doing the doing isn't it effectively you you can have like like we used to have you know encyclopedia britannica which is now google it's all there <laughs> it's all freely available it's what you do with it Hallelujah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm glad we got rid of that i mean you know the bloke's knocking on your door saying would you like the next version <laughs> no no <laughs> whoever reads that nonsense what, whatever happened to it yeah <laughs> Dearing me. Well, look, Stuart, it sounds like, I guess, what's spurred you on to, to build your business and found these and be innovative and creative has often been, heard it a couple of times uh, from you just in the short time we've, we've been on air here, is 
frustration to an extent. Um, so look, let's go back before that frustration. Um, how did you even get into the world of, of pharmaceuticals? Um, did you want to go down this route? And then talk us through, talk us through that frustrating. Where did that kick in? What was it that that really hit you? Because that's where so many innovations and, and entrepreneurs come from. It's off the back of something that should work a lot better, but doesn't. I started life wanting to be a, a vet because I wanted to help people and, well, specifically their pets. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't intelligent enough to do that. So when I got to university, I started doing biology and I hated quadrats and worms. So I changed to pharmacology. Um, pharmacology is interesting because they do a lot of animal experimentation, which is the complete 180 to what I wanted to do for being a vet. So all of a sudden, my life's not what I thought it would be. Um, but what I discovered with pharmacology was a passion, a love, bioethics, the whole, you know, what what is it we are taking as a drug, you know, whether it's aspirin or paracetamol or hmm. whatever we take. Why are we taking it? Where did it come from? What does it do to our body? So I got into that. My first job, ironically, was um, biochemical toxicology. So I taught people how to make chemical warfare agents. Can't do that nowadays. Yeah. Okay, you know, uh, those days have gone. I also did forensic science, so you could get away with it. Um, I got into preclinical, which was is the, the point where you're working out what a drug does from point A to B before you get into humans. I then moved into the clinical world. And when I was in preclinical, what surprised me is people didn't understand what they needed to comply with. And because they didn't understand what the requirements were, they just beefed it up and did as much as they thought was possible or required. None of it- Why do you think that was out of interest? There, There seems to be this innate fear of people wanting to read a regulation or a legislation that they think they won't understand it Mm -hmm. but if you read it it's pretty simple the amount of people that don't read them um and what i've heard that the phrase i've heard so often is this is how we always did it Mm -hmm. oh my god shoot me you know because it it doesn't matter if it was right wrong stupid irrelevant they would just do that because that's how they always did it. I moved into the clinical world and I saw exactly the same thing. People didn't understand why we had, you know, it's the basics. Why do we have the Declaration of Helsinki? Why do we have the Nuremberg Code? Because of everything that happened in the Second World War, whether it was Japan or Germany or whoever else, it didn't matter. But because of that, what we said is we will never do this again. So we had these ethical standards And because of those ethical standards, we had the clinical trial regulations, we had ICH, GCP, all of that kind of stuff. I went to Berlin for a three-day course on GCP, and I walked out of it knowing nothing. I'm literally down the road from Nuremberg. Mm. All of this was court cases, ethics, all that. Uh, And what it it brought home to me is people if you don't understand why you're doing it if you don't have the context it doesn't make sense i'll kind of probably share your early frustration there i what i hate is the phrase if it's not broke don't fix it because i just often i I, you know how many times i hear that from from clients it's like we've always used this partner we've always done it this way and it's not broke don't you know don't fix it you know, my argument is, but if it could be better, it's as good as broken. Yeah. Um, why not innovate? If, you, if you're always going to stand still, like your business is going nowhere. Um, and it seems that that was the frustration that was perhaps hitting you yes. back, back then. It's not even if it's not broke, don't fix it. It's we don't have a fucking clue what's going on. So let's not do anything to touch it. Because if we do, we open a can of worms, which is always the case, certainly in you know a lot of industries. This is how we've always done it. We've got away with it. Don't do anything to it. Don't touch it. It's all good. Uh, that, that, and I got frustrated with that because it's simple. Because uh, I remember having discussions with executives at GE and Shire, both saying to them, if we know what we need to do, 
the beauty about that is we know what we don't need to do. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, you've simplified your procedures. You've got rid of all this histrionics, as I call it. You know, we always did it. Yep. And this is how we always did it. Get rid of all of that. And all of a sudden, you've got, you know, uh, you've got a really simplified procedure. So they always talked about Lean Six Sigma. That's great. But if you don't know what you should have been doing, how can it be lean? The biggest so, challenge to change is the old way. I think that's really yes. what you're saying. And I've heard that said yeah. a number of times and certainly by a number of people on, on this pod and on another podcast. The old way is the biggest challenge, isn't it? And yeah. presumably, presumably, not only are you disrupting, but also over the course of the last year, 18 months, disruption bec has become the new norm. So it's challenging the status quo and it's, you know, it, it is broken. Let's fix it. Um, I, I think where I'm probably, I, I would say I'm different, but I'm the same as a lot of people is, um, I, well, I'm a late developer mentally. I never understood things because I couldn't understand the context. In school, you're never given the context. So I never understood things ever. Mm -hmm. um, as I got into industry and I started looking at the regulations, what people should do, all of a sudden there's a baseline. Oh, this is what you're required to do. Mm -hmm. And then I would be saying, so why are you doing this? Well, because we've always done it. Well, you don't need to. Yeah. Do you, you don't need to. And I could reference it. So that's why when you see my works, I reference to the nth degree. Yeah. And, you know, I, I have clients where they come back and they'll challenge it and say, well, you know, our local affiliates say that this isn't right. Then we give me a reference. It, it is just a gut feeling. It's what we always did. And I'll then go back to them and say, okay, you know, according to section XYZ of legislation, this guideline this etc mm. this is what's required as verified by the competent authority and i'll go oh yeah meaning you didn't need to do any of that shit what were you doing why were you doing that what is wrong with you people and and i can see where the frustration comes in because yeah it's that so thing, you know that you're right you've referenced it you've got its data backed and people are arguing otherwise it's just it is just infuriating um, yeah. so i can see exactly where that that came from um so look from there uh, i've got on my notes uh from when you and i uh, spoke that eventually you ended up starting uh chuck yeah um but it got to a point where you were effectively you were getting paid <laughs> to run <laughs> your own company which i just found fascinating really so look for, for the for the, the, the listeners here, just talk us through that that process because it sounds like an absolutely incredible gig that you had landed there. But talk us talk us through that. It was honestly a weird thing. So you know, bear in mind that I, because I'm a late developer mentally, I have no contact with life. You mm. know, I, I, I I'm probably on the autistic scale when it comes to the, that kind of engagement, which would just explain why I thought this was normal. So I was approached, I had been servicing, shall we say, um, what was then Farmanet i3 since 2009 to 2012, so three years. They were one of my many clients. Uh, they were one of many clients because no one else provided this service. But what they said to me is, um, we would like to buy your company. And I obviously thought, oh, okay, cool, nice one. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but it will take time. We know that our processes are slow. So we will employ you full time. Okay, all good. Um, and, and this was, I, I'm quite good on IP. So the discussion was, so anything that I created that was related to Chuck, I owned. Mm -hmm. And if they wanted access to it, they had to pay a license fee. So not only did they pay me as a full-time employee, they paid me to generate and continue to build my own business and pay me a license fee for access to the information they paid me to create. Absolutely. For four years. Mind-boggling. Who, who negotiated that? Did they come to you with that negotiating position, Stuart, uh, or did, well, you, I, did you talk it through? I, uh, I'm very lucky in that one of my university colleagues uh, was a top uh, IP lawyer and she created the contract for me. <laughs> 
what I've was got to say, what, what was that the, the and she's on your Christmas list. You, was it kind of, <laughs> please give me the best case scenario that I could possibly get. And no, no, not there. at all. No, she was, you know, so Lucy was straight in. This is what you need. This is, she was working for British Tobacco, whatever they called it at the time. She mm. was one of the head IP lawyers. And she said, right, you know, this is how it should go. And I went, okay, I'm good with that. Yeah. Wow. Uh, sent it into their, their lawyers at uh, what was then Farmanet I3. And I went, okay. And I went, oh. Okay. Fine. Fantastic. So what did that, that then look like then? So you're running your own business. <laughs> a stack of cash. <laughs> the of the <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah, that's kind of what I'm picturing, Adam, is the suitcases <laughs> of, of money. And, he's, just, um, he's, just, he's just cashing in. He's just literally counting out his cash. And, so, and back. So, but look, that, I guess sometimes that can be a, a double-edged sword because... Yes. Talk, you remember, talk to us about that. You remember the Stephen King uh, mantra I told you about from Dreamcatcher, confident, mm. cocky, lazy, dead. The reason it means a lot to me is I was confident when all of this happened. I got cocky, I got lazy, and the company died. Chuck, Chuck, if you look at Chuck now, it's nothing. But I, I from 2012 to 2019, probably, I, I would say it was probably only 2014 to 2019. Hmm. I got so cocky and lazy. I, I didn't work. Wow. I, did, I, I literally didn't have to do anything. Uh, and during that time, the company that bought us or was buying us hmm. had no idea what to do with Chuck at all. So what made me happy what drove me was gone. Gone. So, so what, what were you doing then? You say nothing, nothing but like, how, I went to meetings. How did, how did you spend your, your days? Because I know that I, personally, I go I, insane worst, if I'm not busy. My worst year, I, and because I live in Inverness or outside of Inverness, you know, every journey is doubled because of the internal flights. My worst year, I was on 240 flights. Wow. Literally, all I used to do was go to client meetings for bid defense meetings or to speak to clients. I really didn't ever do any work, didn't think, didn't enjoy what I did. I hated it. So I, I have got the ultimate contract. It paid pretty much for my house and i've got to tell you i hated it mm. it didn't make you happy no not at all so what was what was going through your head then because yeah in, in some respects you know we've all just been laughing at what a fantastic deal it, it was yeah. but on the other hand it sounds like it was one of the worst times of your life it was um, so what was going You'd through achieved, your head you at this point You'd achieved Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You 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 ticked all the boxes all the way up, and yet yeah. when you got to the top of the tree, it sounds like it fell down. It was shite. It, honestly, yeah. The challenge, and I, I learned this, and it's, I don't often tell people um, that I did actually get into RF Cranwell to be an officer. Uh, I was going to be a fighter jet navigator. The, I always loved the challenge, the challenge, the challenge. If I'm not, and the wife tells me this all the time now, if I'm not busy and I'm not pushing to an extreme of what I don't think I can do, I'm not happy. So you can imagine, you know, seven years where you're sitting there, where you're told you have to be part of the corporate strategy. You cannot innovate. You cannot think. You cannot actually. I wasn't even allowed to update my own website that they bought. Wow. Just seems, seems crazy. And again, that probably it was a different type of frustration by the sound of things, because you're not necessarily the, the shy quiet type you know you've already dropped a, a few episodes on, 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 on this show to be told it's quite restrictive um the situation that you were perhaps in um just yeah nowhere really to go with it um, oh. and as, as you say your wife kind of you know picked up on the fact that you like to be busy you like to, to have the push uh i was speaking to adam just the other day saying i'm exactly the same that the idea or thought of being not or not being busy and at 100 miles an hour 
Yeah. Fills me with dread. Um, yeah. So look, how how did you how did you cope with that? I guess mentally, did it have an impact on on your personal life, your family life, your your friends? Because you know we all hear it. You know. The, the, the saying that none of us liked as, as teenagers, which is, oh, you've changed. Um, did you get much of that? Um, so, you know, from a history perspective, I had my first nervous breakdown in 2007, which probably inspired me to create Chuck. Um, during the period that I was under the corporate rule, should we say, I struggled mentally. You know, I, I, I'll be honest, I'll be frank, I've always been an alcoholic, you know, from, from the days that I started with GE, the first thing we ever did was go to the lounge, business class, we'd get on the flight, even if it was like, you know, a 20 minute stop business class, it was, that, that was just the mantra from the year 2000 onwards. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I tried to stop the alcohol, God, like I did that for two and a half years, I've got to say. If you're not a binger and you're, a, you know, you're a professional like me, it's not a good place to be. Mm. Um, mentally, I went through different, and this is an interesting one. I went through, given that I'm a pharmacologist, I went through different antidepressants. The last one I had when I was really struggling at Sinius was fluoxetine. What's, what's that to the... Um, so, the yeah, here we go. So I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain this one. So the GP had explained, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll try this one for a change because everything else you seem to reject. Um, in its previous life, so fluoxetine is the generic name. Mm. The, uh, the brand name is Prozac. Right, I see. Everyone's heard of Prozac. Mm -hmm. Prozac is not good for anyone. Um, I learned that the hard way um, as a pharmacologist, you know, I've tried lots of different stuff and uh, oh, I, I was at the, I discovered that having taken it for the antidepressant is not good. Having coming off it, it's even worse. As an, anyone that's got depression, never, ever, ever take this drug. It's rough. So, yeah, so that's that's all, you know, the, the, the pretty stuff that goes on. And it's funny. Uh, people come to me and say, oh, you, you're doing so well with your company. You've got all this. You know, in between that, you know, between the alcoholism and the antidepression issues and all that kind of stuff, life isn't as pretty as people would like to think. You also have to work 24-7 to make things happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that you're there. I think it's it's kind of a, the outside world see what you want to, them to see, and particularly if you're you know you're running and you're trying to generate business, yeah. etc. It's the highlight reel. Yeah, you know, we've probably all been there where you've been out with friends, whether it's on stag do's or bachelor parties for our audience in in, in the US, or you know family meals and stuff. And then yeah. there is the 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 end of of the of the day or whatever it is that you've been doing. You know, for me recently, it was taking my son out to an adventure park. Half the time he, you know, kicked and screamed on, on certain things, but we still managed to get a, a very nice family picture um, at the end of the day. And but, you're all smiling. And yeah, absolutely. You know, but there was moments in that day that it wasn't all, you know, smiles and, and rainbows. Um, and I think that's what you're perhaps touching on here is that social media now is just, it's the highlight reel, isn't it? It's not... The everyday things you, you know there, there's yeah. not people as open as yourself who are like yes i've, I've struggled with um alcohol i've, I've struggled with, with prozac I've, I've kind of had some some dark times um and you're you know, kind of happy to, to say that so what is it um I'm, I'm interested to find out you know how you've got the kind of the, the strength to actually talk about that because a lot of people they don't um it's something that i Personally, in my personal life, I don't like to get into too much because it's it's hard to talk about. You know, I I, uh, I talk a lot, um, but it's sometimes I'm I'm like, oh, what do, what do I say? So yeah. what would you what would you say to I, I guess anyone myself probably as much as anyone else? How should other people that you know that you're around at those times? How could how could they perhaps help in in that sort of situation? How you know what what worked for you? 
I'll, I'll, two stories. First and foremost, I'm a Royal Air Force child. So, you know, I went to, I, I don't know how many countries I've lived in, but I, I went to 12 different schools. Um, and, and as part of that, I always learned that in order to survive, you make yourself the lowest common denominator. So you take the piss out of yourself. That way, when people take the mickey, sorry, out of, out of you, it doesn't matter. So, and, and to me, that's a strength in the team. So for any team that I have as part of, you know, what I'm doing, I'm always the lowest common denominator, common denominator. So that mm -hmm. they feel um, that they can relate. How do you speak to people? I, the second point is, I remember some good friends of my mum and dad's and she had come in, obviously I can't mention names. She had had a miscarriage, but in, in the world of life, no one ever speaks or talks about it because it's an awkward topic. And I was a child at the time, teenager, and I just remember hearing the cries and the sobs coming from the kitchen as she talked to my mum and dad, because they were the only people that would talk to her, no family, no friends. Mm. So it, it struck me that there are so many things that you can suffer in life and you have to suffer it alone because it's too awkward to talk about it. I don't know if that's a British thing. So having been through two nervous breakdowns, suffered severe depression, and, you know, I've given up on my alcoholism. And I'm, 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 I'm happy where I am. It's all good. Um, but there has to be someone that talks about it, because unless someone else talks about it, you can't talk and relate. And... It, it's a stigma. All of these things are stigmas. You know, my wife had three miscarriages. My wife is obstinate. Can you imagine delivering other people's babies in the knowledge that you can't have your own? Well, and no one will talk to you because it's awkward. Whatever. No, you, there has to be someone that breaks that mold. Julie, However, make, sorry, Adam. God, I was going to say, not, not to cut across you, but you make some incredible thought incredible points there and i don't want to take this platform away from you but i think that was how you and i first connected because we shared our own stories didn't we yes yeah and this isn't my platform today but that's for another day but you know the the way that you speak about it so openly and and i think the not just the humility but actually i think all of our listeners will identify with the things that you're describing because you know these aren't unusual things and yet they it is unusual to speak about it particularly in a you know, in a, in a very public forum, in the manner in which you're doing it so eloquently. So, you know, you do that, you continue to do that. And I've seen you describe these things on LinkedIn as well. And I, I really do admire that in you for, for doing that. And as I say, you know, when we first spoke, that was, that was the point of connection that you and I had immediately, wasn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we connect. You can always tell when someone has, someone is of the same trauma shall we say you know you, you can you can't see it but you can feel those pains i think it's in the language i always i, I often say this to james and we often you know when we're talking to people you can hear it in the words that people use in the descriptions that they um in the manner in which they describe certain things but i always I can always hear those clues and and you're very open about it so you don't need you know that they're, they're, they're very they're very clear your, your points that you're making but actually as you say it, it's kind of it's low level but if you're tuned into those yeah. those words it's through it's through you know cbt and various other uh neuro-linguistic programs that that work in our brains if you've been through any of these talking therapies that you hear it and you understand the language don't you that's well, what it's I've, about i've got to say you know people some people especially locally they look at me as a success i look at myself as a broken man you know I, I i do what i can with what i've got but i know that you know i've broken so many times you know, what is success you know i'm potentially so i'm about to launch the real world research limited so james to your point you know redbird what the fuck was that about? Um, so Real World, Real World Research Limited, it's about to launch next month and it will be awesome. Um, you know, but at what price? You know, 
this is what people don't seem to understand in the business where you are a consultant or you create your own business. It's not free, you know, unless you have mum and dad's money behind you, it's all good. But for those of us that don't, like ourselves, we, we create from scratch. So, yeah, it comes at price, but also we can be proud of that. I like it. I like it. So, look, Stuart, what what does, I guess, not necessarily success, but what does, what makes you happy nowadays then? You know, the, the new business uh, or new name is, is coming. We're ditching the birds. Uh, we're shooting them down. <laughs> it's those birds! <laughs> the, bird, the, birds the birds are off. Um, yeah. You know, what's, what does the future look like for you? I know that sort of after you and I first spoke, you sent me a fantastic pic of uh, yeah. fishing spot. And that was, you know, to get out and actually just enjoy kind of life, a bit of peace and quiet, etc. Um, what does, you know, what makes you happy now? What is next in store for, for you and, and for the business? So it's funny, you know, I don't have major aspirations. So, you know, I'll be honest, um, I own my mum and dad's house. I brought them up here because my dad was having a really hard time. So we brought them out. Um, it's in Scotland where we are, we only have a mortgage for two houses, 300,000 pounds. Well, my aspiration is to pay off the mortgages and give my wife and my parents enough money to be happy. That's it. It's simple. Just That's it. Yeah, you know, it's simple. It really is. Fantastic. And, and the business, what's, what's next? What does the remainder of the year look like for... Yeah, I, I, I love that. That's the thing, you know, I'm a workaholic. I am a perfectionist and I never think anything I do is ever good enough. So it's a good combination, but not if it's, it's you that's doing that. Um, we will be launching next month with the rwr-rigs.com pitch. Um, so in essence, we've, we've turned the business model on its head. If you look at the regulatory intelligence that's out there for clinical research, it's all about what is it you need to do. So what we're saying to people with the new model is what we're selling you is the updates. You get what you need to do on a day to day basis, how you need to run the studies for free. Mm -hmm. Totally different. Wow. And so much cheaper than people like Vera or Cortelius. So it's a totally different model. Um, that's that's product number one. Product number two is, is what I'm working on at the minute is medical devices. So I am on country 42 at the minute. So by the end of the year, we will have a product that once people subscribe to the updates, they get the core stuff free. Um, it will tell them how to do clinical investigations for all of the types of medical devices. So is it, I guess look, I'm thinking as a potential customer, client, um, is it like a, a tiered bit of productization in there from, from yourselves then? So you've got the, as, as we said, look, the, there's a lot of stuff that you're happy to say, look, guys, it's going to add value to you. We're going to, yeah. you know what, give it, we, we'll give it that away. If you want the, the bolt-ons, the extras, you know, the, the yeah. real guidance, that's where you can then level up, level up um, yes. as, as appropriate, effectively. I've got to say, every time you put your arms up, I'm loving seeing your guns. That's, that's impressive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. If I, I got I'll, that. It was a fitness plan. I bought it. Yeah, I'll, I'll replace it. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll replace impressive with jealous. Um, yeah, so, you know, it, it, you, you've obviously got to have the basic. The basic, and honestly, the way we're pitching it, these are, you know, single consultants to small startups they can afford mm. this and then you've got the pro and then you've got the enterprise but the whole point here is we've turned it on its head you know when chuck sold stuff we there is no market because i undersold the whole market i was selling reports that should be sold for two three thousand pounds for 50 quid wow no one could compete so it, it's it's already out there as you know well you, we always use your reports 
this kind of thing, what we're trying to do is um, I'm learning from my co-founders that, you know, that's not how business works. (laughs) (laughs) Funnily enough, I I was listening only the other day to a, a, um, a podcast where they were talking about the monetizing and the subscription model. And it sounds like that might be something you you either are going to be doing around that yeah. training and video subscription piece yeah. is that what this is yeah you, you is can this what this is speaking to because this yeah. is where the, the big bucks come yeah you subscribe to it um and it's there's no tie-in no nothing if you you go in you don't like it it's fine you leave but that's where the big that's where the big money comes in in the repeat subscriptions the repeat use and and actually just getting people coming back time and time again rather than just putting it out there and giving it once yeah. and charging once it's a repeat 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 and that clearly well, is the model that you're, you're thinking adam of. honestly that that's the hope <laughs> i've got a mortgage to pay off come on people <laughs> i think that i think that that'll be easy easy if it's as good as it you say it is and it, if it's as far reaching as the as the work sounds like you're you're going well into. It, it's funny because you know we've got beta testers in gsk etc and they're all going oh my god why why can't we have this now what where we differentiate is we add context we're not just giving you information like cortelius does there's a reg um what we're doing is saying this is the impact and this is what you should think about and this is why it's important so we, we give all of that context so and and the beauty of what we're doing is because i've been doing this for so long i don't need to go to every website all over the world i know where to go yeah it's... well you're you're the expert you're the expert so if you overlay that with some of the some of the um, tools that we've talked about, James, around Loom and various other things, then you've got that in-person training cap- capability, haven't you, to to be in the virtual room with the with the individual training? Is that is that a platform that you're familiar with? What's Loom? Ah, oh, my goodness, this is a oh. whole nother conversation. Oh, oh wow! I'll definitely have to yeah give you a bit of an education on that uh, off air. Um, yeah. show, but it's it's a great. Oh, that's a game changer for, for video education, business development. Oh. Absolutely, game so I'll, I'll definitely fill you in on, on that but it sounds exciting what you've got planned um be interesting to, to follow this um but look for now uh for our audience we always like to wrap up the show adam don't we with um a few quick fire questions um for you so you know we do this with, with all of our guests um and yeah let me let me kick kick you off with the first one um look you've talked a lot about your, your younger life um, but what is that if you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice, what would that be? Life is too short, live it. Like Ooh. it. Short, short, short and sweet. Okay. So following on from that, the, the number one book or resource on, on your mantelpiece at the moment that you're referring to the most. Presumably that it might be some of your own reference materials, no. as, as opposed to the Encyclopedia Britannica. No, good night, Mr. Tom. <laughs> Good honestly it's a book i've read so many times you know and i have a library of four thousand books sci-fi fantasy uh my gcse book was Goodnight, mr tom by michelle mcgorian i have to get her name right um and i continuously read that probably every other year love it it makes me laugh it makes me cry impressive is that the one that they've got the, they've had a, a tv show around they that did time. the bloke from morse did it yeah, yeah. I've, I've it was, definitely, the tv's never as good as the book read the book <laughs> well i have to get it get it on the reading list yeah. um, but look move, moving on uh it sounds like there, there could be further growth for you as a business um you know when you are building teams what are the top three qualities that you look for in an individual, I, I guess. So having done this multiple times, mental flexibility. And what I mean by that is I need people that don't think they know everything. Mm-hmm. I need people that know that they don't. Um, that's number one. Integrity. I have to trust people. Yeah. Uh, and number three, which is probably more important than all of the rest of them, sense of humour. I agree. I think we I think we've ticked all of these boxes today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
I agree. Sense of humour for me is a, a massive one. If you're working with people, you spend so much of your life on them. And reverting back to your, you know, one piece of advice, life is too short. Why waste it? Speak, you know, dealing with people that aren't going to make your life fun. You know, so look, I agree there. Um, your favourite thing outside of work, dare I ask? <laughs> um, yeah. Apart okay. from the F-bomb. I'll go for the, the safe one, you know, so there are actually two, I do uh, Technics Lego, but the one that brings me most peace is I sit on the shore of the West Coast and fish, and I'm not actually fishing, I'm just absorbing. Yeah, I think we talked about that before, didn't we? That sounds like that's your happy place, that's the place it where is. you go to, to have your deepest deepest thoughts and, and clarity. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. And look, to, to finish off the show, uh, Stuart, you know, what is your number one golden rule for, for life and for, for business? Have fun. I like it. Very much in tune with, uh, I guess, what you've said throughout the, the whole journey here. And I, I just want to thank you for, for coming on and being so honest. I did not realise we'd kind of get into some of the bits <laughs> that, that we did. Um, we've gone deep. We've gone very deep. Gone deep. Yeah. I... I <laughs> I enjoy it, as I say, look, I'm someone that has in the past probably shied away from any conversations um, like that. But now kind of hearing it from yourself of just being like, just just talk about it. Don't be, don't shy away. I'm someone who can take advice sometimes quite literally. So I'm, you know, someone says, do it, just do it. I'm, I'm happy to follow that advice um, from a man that's, that's been there. So look, Stuart, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show. Um, for anyone looking to reach out to you, I know that you're extremely active on, on LinkedIn. So we'll, you know, get your details shared there. But anywhere else or, you know, if anyone wants to reach out to you, whether it's investors, customers, clients, people that want to talk mental health, what, what is the best way to, to get you? Just get you, mate. <laughs> fantastic. Well, look, thanks again. Uh, you have a fantastic day. And thanks for coming on the Hudson Water podcast. Yeah. Thanks so much, Thank Stuart. Thanks, everyone. Take care.